Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. How about this? Let's take a look at, at 1 Corinthians, which, as I mentioned last week, really isn't the first letter that Paul wrote. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, in my previous letter to you. So there was a letter that they got that, well, we don't know where that's at, but it's somewhere. And even what we call 2 Corinthians isn't 2 Corinthians because, well, really what we call 1 Corinthians is probably 2 Corinthians. And in what we call 2 Corinthians, he talks about a severe letter that he wrote to the church None of us would enjoy that. As a matter of fact, one of my ongoing jokes is, is I'm going to be writing you a strongly worded letter. Nobody likes to receive strongly worded letters, but Paul makes reference to this. So what we call 1 Corinthians probably is 2 Corinthians, and what we call 2 Corinthians is probably 4 Corinthians. There you go. That's just a piece of trivia. But he had some things to say to this church that is coming out of a completely different way of, of believing and living. And they were having a hard time getting over their past practices And so Paul was saying, I I think I need to give you some instruction in the Lord so that you can grow in the Lord. But I love what he says to them. Even though he has some difficult things to say, he shows you his approach and how he's going to say it by looking at verse 3 of chapter 1. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He starts with grace and peace to you. Now, he started like all of his letters that way. But we have peace with God because we have received the grace of God. He says, I just want us to remember this. Even though we're going to be talking about some difficult things, there's a whole lot more to the story here. And you are a testimony to the working of God's grace in your life. Grace, of course, means unmerited favor. That God gave you blessing even though you didn't deserve it. In His mercy, just so you know, God God does not give us punishment that we deserve. That's His mercy. While in His grace, God gives us the gifts we do not deserve. Namely, at the end, heaven and reunion with him. We didn't deserve it. He said, I'm offering this to you. And as a result, you have peace with him. What this means is you have wholeness in your life. Now, these people were going through tough times. It didn't say all of your circumstances will be washed away. He says, in spite of the brokenness of the world, you can have personal wholeness in your life because you have union with Jesus Christ. Everything is in harmony in your heart. All is well. You have every kind of good that you need for your life. Uh, Our Catholic and Lutheran friends, they have a practice that's called passing the peace. How many of you have heard of that before? I cracked up with my Catholic friends because at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, when they started to shift back into the church, they do this every Sunday and they pass the peace to one another. And they get this from John chapter 14, verse 27, where, you know, Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. It is my own peace that I give you. And I don't give as the world gives. Boy, isn't that true. God gives much better than the world gives or the things of the world, but they pass the peace. They were coming back in from uh, the pandemic, kind of for the first time, and they're like, and now we're going to pass the peace. And people are like, I'm not passing anything right now. (laughs) Nobody wanted to touch hands, right? You probably know what I'm talking about. Some of us probably, maybe what we could do is focus a little bit more on passing the peace, giving the kinds of things that Jesus gave, rather than passing the snark. Is that fair? Jesus was trying to pass something different than what the world passed. And Paul begins, I'm going to say some tough stuff, but I want you to hear my heart of where I'm coming from because I'm going to say this for your good and for your blessing. And so he says this in verse 4. He says, I always, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. 
that you are enriched in him in every way, in all speech and knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ this is when he returns. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus. God is faithful. You who are called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's faithful to you. Notice what he says here. He says, I always give thanks. I always thank my God for you. So here you have a church that honestly, they're kind of messed up. Now that's all of us to be fair. The way I look at a Sunday morning gathering, it's almost like a gathering of Alcoholics Anonymous, even if alcohol isn't your thing. It's that we come in so that we can purge the things out of us that need to be purged. Every single one of us that comes in here claiming Jesus probably would also own up to our own hypocrisy. Is that fair? We don't always measure up. Is that fair? But that's part of the reason that we're even here is because we know we, we don't. And by his goodness and his mercy, he continues to change us from the inside out to look more like Jesus. That's part of why we're here. But Paul says this, I thank God for you. Y'all are messed up, but I thank God for you. But he's also a little bit more specific on why he thanks God. But I want to point something out. Earlier, I was saying we're going to have a, a weekend for marriages. And I was like, hey, come in to be a part of this, right? How many of you have ever had to have a difficult conversation in your marriage? Well, if you've been married, the answer to that is yes, right? And some of that, I always thought this years ago, marriage is, is an interesting institution because it's the one where you have two people that are sinners uh, that are living under the same roof, and how smoothly is that going to go? Probably after a while, something's going to show up, right? Something's going to crop its head up, and there's going to be some friction there. Uh, John Gottman is considered one of the top marriage experts in the world. And he said, you do have to have those difficult conversations. You kind of have to grind in so that you can overcome the things that are hurting your relationship with each other. He said, but one of the things that's really important is that you start talking with each other literally from the heart on the things that you know that you love and you appreciate about each other. Because even if you're struggling in your marriage, there's always more to the story than the struggles that you have. Isn't that a great thing? He said, so I would encourage you, six or seven, maybe write them down. Spend some time sharing with each other that fact that you know that there's more to what's going on here than what it is that you're struggling with. He said, here's the thing. What we find is, is that we're much more receptive to the difficult part of the conversation that's important for us to have. We receive it better because we see the other person understands there's more to me than what's upsetting you. Does that make sense? Paul just did that. I thank my God for you. Now, here's what he's not thankful for. He's not thankful for their purity because they're not pure. He's not thankful for their righteousness because they're really not. As you point out, he, they're kind of a mess. The full statement that he said, though, is I thank my God always for you because of the grace of God that's given to you in Jesus. Basically, here's what he's saying. When I look at you guys, I am thankful for the grace of God. That's basically what he's saying. Now, he's not, by the way, being hard on the church at Corinth. Because what you would find is Paul would describe himself. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. He said that about himself. I'm the chief of them. So he's not basically putting a jab at them. Instead, what he's saying is I see tremendous opportunity for what the Lord can do by his grace through you. I can see that. But change is going to have to happen. Messed up? but God's grace is at work in you. 
Does that sound like you? Because it sure sounds like me. Here's why I even wrote the letter. You see this in chapter 1, verse 11. He said there were two reasons. One, I got reached out to by you guys. Not you, but literally the church at Corinth. I got reached out by you because apparently something's going on out of Chloe's home. And she's like, hey, can you give us some insight on that? He says, that's the first reason I wrote you is because you asked me to. He said, and then the second reason is because you got questions about the faith. How does all this work out? That sounds like what we do in church every week. Sounds like what we do in church every week. What were some of the issues they were dealing with? Well, here's one. They had cliques. I know it's hard to believe in a church, right? But they had cliques. Now, let me be clear. There is nothing wrong with you having a deep, connected relationship with a group of people in a church. In fact, I would hope as you come here to Woodridge, we want you to find those kinds of relationships. They're just some people that you are naturally going to gravitate to, that you're naturally going to connect with. It could be for a lot of reasons. You might have a lot of mutual shared interests. There's nothing wrong with that at all. The problem is, is when that comes to the exclusion of your willingness to allow other people in because you've settled into the group that you belong to, that's when it becomes a problem. And that was a problem in the church. Uh, Second, they were denying Paul's authority. Well, Paul wasn't having that, but they were trying to do that, right? You're not the authority over me. And Paul's like, well, actually, yes, I am. So he just calls him out for it. You find that there's a man that's actually having sex with his stepmother. And that's just gross. But that was actually happening in this church. Paul's like, I got to say something about this. They were suing each other. And Paul's like, let me get this straight. Instead of going to one another and trying to work out the conflicts that you have, you think that it's a better idea to say, let the courts settle this. Maybe handle it the way that God said to handle it. But that's what was going on. Uh, They were having sex with temple prostitutes. You had people that worshipped Aphrodite, the goddess of love and sex. Her temple was basically just back on a mountain behind the church. Temples were everywhere. And they're like, well, we're going to go to church on Sunday. And then we're going to go up to the temple on Monday. And we're going to have sex with temple prostitutes. Paul's like, not going to work. And you guys stop. When they had communion, they were getting drunk. We just had communion a week ago. We didn't do that. These folks would be like, well, y'all aren't doing it right. Paul's like, no, you're not doing it right, right? Can you see, I'm just trying to give you an idea of the kinds of things that he's addressing here. Is it true that at some point you see some things are going on and you say, we got to speak up because the voice of God has got to be heard because these are important matters. They really are. And it goes for the good and the blessing of the church. So now you see why his beginning is so important. If we're not careful, we can focus on the flaws in people. We can. But Paul is focused on the work of Jesus to change those people. And that's a better way. It's like this. It's not that I can't see the flaws in people, but more so I can see what God is doing through those people. He says, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. Even in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, don't repay evil for evil. Notice this is an approach. Inevitably, inevitably, you're probably going to have somebody, even in a church setting, do something that's not right. It's just inevitable. It's going to happen. How do you respond to that? You don't repay evil for evil. And he says, don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, he says, pay them back with a blessing. Question, how many of you did that this week? Pay them back with a blessing. And as Peter goes on to say, this is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. You don't amp up evil in a response with evil and think that's going to be a solution to the situation. You take a different approach. And Paul says, so I'm going to take a different approach. 
grace and peace to you through Jesus Christ. See, this is how God is at work, friends. In, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, here's what he says to his church. He says, his divine power has given you everything that you need for a godly life. You already have it. You don't have to ask for more. God has given it. You already have the power. You already have the energy. Uh, I was talking with our students a couple of weeks ago. We had one weekend. It was an amazing weekend. And on Saturday evening, I had a chance to talk with the students. And I was giving them this illustration to understand that they don't have to keep asking for more. Instead, they have to tap into the power that God has already given them for, for the fullness of their spiritual life. My wife likes to do woodworking. If you got into our garage, there are woodworking tools everywhere. Uh, and wood. She, she loves to do this. Well, I walked out a couple of weeks ago. Actually, it was the week of one weekend. And it was time to take the trash out. So I walk out the back door and I go, boom. And I just hit the button to raise the garage door up, right? Like all of you do. Nothing happened. And I'm walking over and I'm like, well, the garage door's not raising up. And so I walk back over and I look and there's, the light is actually glowing on the button. So I'm like, well, it's not a power thing, right? Uh, so I hit it again. Nothing happens. I'm like, okay. So what I do is I go back over and I check to see, you know, the lasers on the garage door, right? I go and I check and I look, and one of those is kind of knocked up like this, and there was some wood over there. Now, I'm not sure what happened, but maybe, maybe some wood bumped it and knocked it up, right? So all I did was I had to unscrew it a little bit, pull it back down, make sure the lasers were in alignment. I tightened it back up, and then I walked back over, boom, hit it, and the door goes up. I take the trash to the road. Now, the thing was, there wasn't any lack of power for the garage door. It was already there. The problem was the alignment. And this is what Paul's trying to say to the church. You have every power that you need to flourish in your spiritual life, but you've got to get the lasers lined back up and the door will rise. That's what he's encouraging them to see. And he gives them a compliment like John Gottman would have him do. Because he says in 1.5, he goes, man, you've got spiritual gifts and you don't have like a little bit of it. He says, you are rich in spiritual gifts. God has blessed you extraordinarily. It's just you're not using them well. Let me ask you a question. This, do you have a deep sense of your own shortcomings? Because, because I do. I do. Uh, maybe it's just kind of a personality quirk. But probably at about one or two this morning, my eyes are going to, the, the morning that hasn't happened yet, we'll get into Monday morning at about one or two in the morning. My eyes will pop open, and I will re rethink this sermon. <laughs> it's like clockwork, and it's a little annoying. I think, of, I think, well, why didn't I use this example rather than that example? You know what I'm saying? For some of us, we are hyper aware of our shortcomings. What this opening should remind you of is that God is at work in you, and you should be looking for the evidences of that grace in your life. And he gave two examples. We are rich in his grace, and we are rich in his gifts. And you know what? We are. We are incredibly blessed. So what are four ways that God keeps us in Christ each day? Because he says, stay in him. What are the four ways? And I'm going to give them to you very quickly. Here's the first, is by his strength. You stay in Christ by his strength. God will strengthen us, Paul said, to the end of our lives or to the end of the age, whichever comes first. God may take you home before he returns. He may take you home when he returns, but he has every measure of strength that you need for that day. What this means is that we have to be strengthened for the course. And as we've already seen, this comes through prayer, it comes through scripture, 
It comes through fellowship with other believers. How many of times have you looked and said, man, where would I be without those other believers in my life? They have been my strength. That's good. That's biblical. We need these people. This is where it comes from. It's almost like a glove. Did you know that a glove by itself has absolutely no power at all? None. I mean, if you were to go out into your garage and try to do some woodworking and then give the glove some instructions on how to get it done, nothing is actually going to get done. Instead, it's when you put your hand in the glove that you actually see the glove able to do what the glove was designed to do. And it's the same with you in your spiritual walk with Christ, his power flowing through you. He says, I've given you every strength and every measure of grace for you to to walk with me every day. Second, oh my goodness, forgiveness. All right, this one's tough. This one is tough. Because what we have evidenced by the example of Jesus is his willingness to forgive us, right? What he's looking for us to do is to communicate with him and to talk with him on the things that we need to ask forgiveness for. But what we know is that he stands there ready to say, the forgiveness is here. He says, follow my example in being that for other people when they wrong you. The purpose of strengthening is so that we will be blameless, Paul said, on the day that Jesus returns, that we won't be called to an account, that we won't be accused of anything. And there's one thing that Scripture talks about throughout that is the most unchristlike way for a Christian to live is to be unwilling to forgive people when they wrong you. He says, so you need to walk in forgiveness, both walking in forgiveness of Christ for yourself and walking in the forgiveness that you give other people because they will fail you. And this requires faith in his forgiveness, trust in his forgiveness. I mean, you may sin, probably you will. I probably will too. The response isn't to beat yourself up over it. It's to confess it, receive forgiveness, move on from it. That's the appropriate response. How many of you ever heard of Dale Carnegie? Dale Carnegie uh, wrote a, I mean, in terms of influence, he wrote a book called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. And tons of people read this book. Here's a story that he gave. Let me share it with you. He visited Yellowstone Park where he saw a grizzly bear. The huge animal was in the center of a clearing feeding on some discarded camp food. If you've ever been to camp, you've probably seen that actually. Uh, For several minutes, Carnegie said, I saw the bear was feasting alone. No other creature was even kind of getting near to the bear. And then he looks up and he says, and behold, a skunk starts to walk through the meadow toward the food. And he takes his place right next to the grizzly bear. And Carnegie is like, I got to watch this. Well, here was the thing. How do you think the bear reacted? I mean, this is the bear's food, so to speak, right? What do you think the bear did? Bear didn't mess with that skunk. That's what the bear did. That's what he said. The bear didn't object to the skunk walking up, and Carnegie knew why. It would cost the bear too much to get even. That's why. And did you know when we respond to others with retaliation, it comes at a cost? Instead of responding with forgiveness. And so here's what what Dale Carnegie said. Maybe take a lesson from the bear and learn to forgive instead. The third thing is faithfulness. Faithfulness. You know the hymn, great is thy faithfulness, O God our Father. That means that he's worthy of our belief and he's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of it. Uh, I was thinking about this week. When, when Wendy and I were first dating, and we didn't take real long to get engaged, but when we were first dating, 
I remember go, going in uh, uh, to a doctor. This was when I was, when they were diagnosing me with epilepsy. Um, and we were very new in our relationship. And then you turn right around and there's a tumor and you're like, you've got to be kidding me, right? It's just one of those times. But I remember walking out of the oncologist office and looking over, sitting over there, there was Wendy. We'd only been dating a couple of weeks. And there was Wendy and she's in her scrubs. She worked with optometrists at the time. She was in her scrubs and she was just there. Now, I had not known her very long, but one of the things that I learned very quickly about her is something about her character and something about her commitment. And what that meant was there was something in her that I could trust. She was there. And it's the same thing when it comes to our relationship with God is because of his character and because of his commitment. He deserves all of our trust. You can see this in Lamentations 3. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's a good word for today. Or even 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. I mean, we may kind of be doing this. God is faithful, and he can't disown himself, which means he's always there with you because he claimed you. What a beautiful picture. And then the last thing he says is make sure that you have fellowship with each other. Do you have that Christian friend that's your 2 or 3 a.m. friend or friends? Do you have them because you need them? He says, we've been called into fellowship. This is close association. We share mutual interests, mutual investment. We have a common cause. That's why we're here. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks, they have a common cause. The Houston Rockets, they have a common cause. They're not getting it, but they have a common cause. <laughs> right? The Houston Texans, whatever. You get the idea. They have a common cause. But all this means that you're drawn into a partnership with each other. And we're drawn into a partnership with our Lord Jesus Christ in the work of his kingdom to make an impact on this earth. That's why we exist. Can you imagine actual fellowship with Jesus himself, though? I mean, that's got to be pretty cool. It's got to be pretty cool. Which is why anytime I ever do a funeral, one of the things that I'm always thinking, at least inside of myself, is they are experiencing a quality of life that I never have. And God has been faithful and good, even if we hurt. Think about this group. This group, they're getting together, right? This church in Corinth, which is in a Roman province. There was a, a study that was done by a British scholar on what kinds of people were walking into this church. And I'm just going to give you a little bit of a list. Here's who it would be. Probably what they would do is they would get together and they would worship together, but they mostly met in homes throughout the course of the week. Maybe about 30 people meeting in a home. Who were these people? Well, one was a craft worker in whose home they would meet along with his wife, children, a couple of male slaves, a female domestic slave, and a dependent relative. There were tenants with families and slaves and dependents also living in the same uh, home in rented rooms. There were family members of a householder who himself does not participate in the house church, a couple of slaves whose owners don't actually attend. They're just there, but they don't care to go. There were some freed slaves who didn't participate in the church as well. Uh, homeless people would come walking in. Migrant workers would rent small rooms so that this group could get together. And they said, add this, add this mix to some Jewish folks and perhaps uh, prostitutes, because that was happening in Corinth, and we see how many different tastes were walking into these homes. That's a lot of history, isn't it? It's a lot of backgrounds. But also think about this. That's a lot of grace. That's a lot of grace. God has been good. One of the fam most famous preachers of all time is a guy named Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. 
in, in England, I mean, he would preach and they would say thousands of people would come to listen to this guy preach. And I was reading something this week that really struck me because Spurgeon told of an evening when he was riding home. He didn't have cars, by the way. He's riding home. And he said the day had been particularly heavy. And for as huge of an impact as this man had on the world for Christ, he struggled with depression. If you go and you read his journals, he would talk about a darkness that would come over him and that literally for days he had a hard time mustering up the strength even to get out of bed. He said, sometimes those hardest days would come after I had just delivered the word of God to the people. And like a darkness just came over me. But what he said was he was feeling weary and he was feeling depressed. When, and I just want to read this to you. He said, when as suddenly as a lightning flash, I thought of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient for thee. He said, I'm sitting there on the ride home. And he said, and I should, and I said to myself, I should, I should think so, Lord, that it is. He said, and then he just burst out laughing. He said that it seemed to make unbelief in him so absurd and here are some examples that he gave that I hope will inspire you a little bit today. He said, it was as though some little fish, being very thirsty, was troubled about drinking the river dry. And the river said, drink away, little fish. My stream is sufficient for thee. Or he said, it seemed after the seven years of plenty, a mouse feared that it would die of famine. And Joseph might would say, cheer up, little mouse. My granaries are sufficient for thee. Or a man away up on a mountain saying to himself, I fear I shall exhaust all the oxygen in the atmosphere. But the earth might say, breathe away, O man, and fill your lungs forever. My atmosphere is sufficient for thee. And here's what he said. Little faith will bring our souls to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to us. Isn't that beautiful? And that's what Paul is saying to this church. And that's what Jesus is saying to you, my grace is enough. It's sufficient. And so maybe like the church at Corinth, you go, I'm here and I got a few things that I'm working out. Good, because there's no better place for you to be than in Christ's church working those things out. But I want you to hear this. As you do it, his grace is sufficient for you in that good work. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.